everyone, and oh my goodness, welcome back to another episode of Marlon's Corner. Uh, so excited to have you back over here in the corner. Uh, we're going to continue our spooky season with some more spooky movies. Now, today's uh, movie is brought to you by uh, Netflix. Ba-boom. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, There's Someone in Your House uh, by Patrick Bryce, who is the director of this film. Now, folks, he has a few films under his belt. Um, nothing too big, but they are some real good, like, cult classic bangers, I would say. Uh, so if you, I'm going to read you a few titles now, and you might not even know these films, but you should definitely check them out. Creep and Creep 2 are, uh, I would say the most, uh, interesting just, or just because the way that they were shot and designed around it just, it's, Completely fascinating. He's also done The Overnight, uh, which has a bit more uh, name brand individuals who are in this one, a bit more famous people who are happen to be helping out with this. Uh, you, of course, got Adam Scott and, and Jason Schwartzman in that one. Uh, but let's just say that if you really want to have a real good creepy time with a real Blair Witch Project-esque, uh, Creep and Creep 2 are definitely the film for you. And honestly, they're far uh, creepier and scarier than there's someone in your house. Um, and the reason I am harping on the differences is because it is very clear that one of these projects is a passion project where another one might not, it, it doesn't appear to carry as much oomph behind this director. Now, Creep is a film that just stars two people. It stars the director, uh, Patrick Bryce, who plays Aaron, uh, and it also stars uh, an individual that some of you might know from his voice acting skills, uh, as well as his appearance in other shows, uh, Mark Duplass. Uh, I know he uh, voice uh, he he voices a character of um, uh, what's his name on Big Mouth, uh, Val Bozarian. He he voices him. He's uh, Mr. Carpenter when the strength when the when the streetlights go on, uh, and if you happen to be a fan. Uh, of the league, he plays Pete Eckhart uh, on that. So he's uh, the the uh, the villain of the creep world. Um, and in this creep film, uh, the director Aaron plays a, a videographer who is entering a Craigslist ad uh, for a man who's requesting to have his last message recorded before he passes away. Uh, and Aaron is a struggling videographer, and so he takes it, which. For a lot of folks, you hear Craigslist ad and you already know where this is going to go. And yes, that's where this exactly goes. So Aaron, of course, goes to meet uh, this character named named Joseph uh, to do this videography, to stay with him over this weekend and to kind of record all his messages. But of course, over time, Aaron begins to realize that Joseph might not be who he says he is. Uh, and this, this results in this really... Uh, uh, scary and uh, high-intensity phone call that uh, Joseph gets, but is intercepted by Aaron, who picks up the phone, uh, and Joseph's sister basically just tells him, hey, everything that Joseph told you is a lie. You need to get out of that house. And, of course, Aaron gets away, which we think, great, film over. But because I got to further <laughs> make it creepier, Joseph still reaches out to Aaron and requests that they meet to, to kind of, like, bury the hatchet, so to speak, and to let bygones be bygones. And Aaron 
on some true white nonsense decides, yes, I'm going to show up in the park to meet you. And uh, Aaron falls victim to Joseph in the most gruesome way possible. Now, you should watch that film. You, you, you should watch its sequel. Those are some real good quality thriller, creepy, scary movies that I think uh, really carry a lot of weight and show that you don't need a bunch of people to make this work. Uh, it's literally just the director and um, Mark Duplass in the first one, this guy recording going back and forth and speaking to one another. And it feels like a very small project, but it carries so much creativity with it. That's very surprising that when you look at this big budget film, uh, there's someone in your house uh, that there really wasn't a lot of translation going through it. Um, it could have been maybe some, maybe there was already an idea what the film should look like. So there couldn't be too much creativity behind it. But all this to say is it's, a little sad when you look at the other films that this director has done and then compare it to the summoning your house. Uh, it's nowhere near the level of engaging content that Patrick has uh, done in his other film. Um, it does have some interesting ideas. And so let's just explore the summoning your house and kind of just what made it interesting from the jump. So, is to set the scene, the movie description describes this film and what's happening in it as uh, the graduating class at Osborne High uh, are being targeted by a masked assailant who is intent on exposing their darkest secrets and only a group of misfit outsiders can stop the killings. With that description, I do think it doesn't match up with what we see in the film. When you hear something like a group of misfit outsiders are going to stop the killings, you think, great, there's going to be a bunch of kids who are planning things, who are going out and stopping things, and that's not what the film kind of has in it. Uh, it also gives you this whole thing of like, oh, this person is intent on exposing the darkest secrets of each victim. And that more or less is kind of changed to and from. We don't get too much of it. Um, but let's just kind of dive in. The fact, of the, the fact of it is this movie has an amazing first impression and an amazing start. Uh, we start the film with just this jock in Nebraska returning home uh, and he's going to take himself a power nap before he goes out that night, which, hey, that fantastic idea. I'm a big fan of that. Of getting, of getting home early. You know, you're going to have a long night. Take that naps so when you wake up, get a shot of coffee. You go and boogie. Fantastic plan. So this character, he takes his nap, he wakes up, and he realizes that there are things moved around in his house, his car keys are gone, all the lights in the house are on, uh, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go call the cops, this is strange, my truck is missing from outside, I got to call somebody. He gets on the phone, but then he notices there's a photo uh, just right at eye level from where uh, the cabinets are. Now, as a viewer, we don't know what's going on, this photo just looks normal. It's just him and this guy standing side by side laughing, but we don't know what's going on. But we do see that, that this character, his body language changes, and he begins to try to figure out what's going on. So he hangs up the phone, and he follows this photo trail of pictures of him that are happening in a progressive manner. So we can we kind of see something's going on in these photos. Like, he's talking, he's taking his shirt off, and then we see him brutally assault a member of the football team uh, as there are other people in a circle around him. Um, we see that you know, this individual that he's beating up puts a pillowcase over his head, and then this jock proceeds to punch him over and over again until the pillow is just soaked in blood. Um, 
the jock then realizes that someone has captured these moments, begins to kind of scream out, as one does in these slasher films, who are you? You know the whole story. I'll pay you. Blah, 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 blah. Which, of course, leads him going into a closet, folks. He wanders right into a closet to see the ultimate shot of him covered in blood, standing over the body. Uh, and he's, you know, pleading his case of, like, I'll pay you. Don't tell anyone. And then we get a great, uh, you know, first murder. We see this this gloved hand with this blade slash both his Achilles tendons and the guy falls back into a pool of blood. Great shot. Uh, and then we also get some more great dialogue as he's, you know, trying to crawl away. He gets, you know, tossed on his back and he says, please, please, that isn't me. That isn't who I am. Uh, and we get a shot of the killer and the killer is wearing a mask that resembles the jock's face. So the killer who is saying, sorry, so the, the, the jock who is saying, please, that is me, that isn't who I am, is saying that to himself, which is, I think, a, an amazing part of the film for this slasher film is that the victims see themselves murdering themselves for their actions, which is a cool premise i think for a villain to have like hey like the last thing you're gonna see as you die is your own which is like i think a really good part of the film i think it really kind of pulls you in and then of course we find out that, that these photos that he saw in his house have been published everywhere and everyone in town is aware of that so that's kind of like the first secret we see spread out to the town which really cool really great and i think that after we see kind of that great scene we start seeing less great scenes that really start shoehorning inning like hey we got a young crowd we got this like losers club of multiracial losers and everyone is represented in this friend group uh we got this kind of uh fast times of, of ridgemont high high school like the film was really trying to update a lot of these uh 70s and 80s horror tropes to the now and it just really felt like they were just kind of like plugging things in um we get the generic jocks who are uh shutting everyone because they're the coolest kids in school uh and we also get the popular christian girl trope uh and they really drive home uh this particular popular christian girl uh in order to do so in order to like just kind of show uh not only that she's terrible but to also i guess kind of have inclusion uh they decide to um have a non binary character but instead of us just seeing them acknowledging who they are and having them just be a normal part of the group in the environment we instead get a scene where the popular christian girl decides to read her uh her letter of intent to a college in which she describes that particular non-binary student as brave and just calls them out in front of the entire student body uh, audibly, like in the cafeteria, just begins to read this letter she wrote to a college where she's calling out a student who is non-binary that used to go by she, that now goes by they. And it really just feels weird that they chose to drop it in there. Like she's a bad person. Let's show you how bad, like we could kind of get that just from maybe some simple dialogue, maybe some others, or we could have just been blindsided, which I feel like was probably a much better plan had we truly seen her secret later on. And spoiler alert, 
she's the next victim, which is why they had her do that really weird scene where she's an absolute terrible person and uh, calls someone's story their own. So we get that in the next scene. Um, in between, though, we do get these bonding moments uh, with the Losers Club, uh, which I can see what they were going for. They were really trying to solidify this friend group, but I think it's more or less overshadowed by uh, the premise of this slasher versus them. You know, it's just, it, we don't get enough out of them to make it that compelling. It's interesting, but when there's nothing happening on screen that's like entertaining or exciting, you're not really paying attention to the characters. At certain points, I was looking at my phone, uh, going on social media because I was kind of like, cool, this is kind of boring. You know, they even give us, you know, very similar scream tropes where like the lonely, loner, uh, scary, gangly white boy that looks like a school shooter happens to know, uh, the, the main, woman in the movie and she knows that he's not a bad person but like doesn't hang out with them so they kind of hang out at a distance but like they know each other but he might be the killer like that's what we kind of get to like be dragged through is having this love affair between the main character uh and this suspicious looking white boy and the main character is sydney park played play by mckenna young and the uh gangly white boy uh i believe is um Theodore, the the character's name is Theodore, uh, but he's played by Ollie Larson. But we more or less just the film is about them being in love, but from one of them's weird. One of them has like a dark past, but it's just all we get is just nonstop. I like you, but I can't be with you. But I like you, but I can't be with you. No, stay away. We don't need it. It's really boring, which is why when this, when the murders happen, it's like, oh my God, thank God. Now something else is happening, something to push the story along because otherwise it is boring. Uh, the second kill of the film as telegraphed in the cafeteria scene previously is about the Christian popular girl. And I truly wish we had an opportunity to not know how terrible she was so that we can kind of have this be a shocking scene. But literally it turns out that Surprise, surprise, she has a terrible secret. She's a white supremacist, and she has a, a white supremacist podcast. That would have been great had we just like kind of just seen her do some like real like two-faced things. Like this film could have given us her being like a very maybe open and at face value Christian friend, but behind the scenes is terrible. We don't get that. Instead, we get like, hey, she's kind of terrible. Get ready for more terrible. And like, this doesn't really surprise us too much. Uh, and of course, as she's being stabbed, her podcast is playing full blast in the background. So when folks walk in to find her corpse as she's hung by a noose in the church, it's just playing her audio about, you know, white superiority and needing to cleanse others, uh, yada, yada, yada. The sins or secrets are, are 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 now being broadcasted to everyone. And now everyone in the town knows this murderer, when he murders you, he puts out your dirty laundry out there. And that's fantastic. But more or less, the first two people that are killed uh, are, I guess, given this, uh, are, are seeing through, through, through the lens of bad. The jock is bad because he hurts someone. Uh, the Christian girl is bad because she has this kind of, ridiculous podcast it gives us these two extremes of individuals which is why it becomes weirder when after these two deaths 
a person who assaulted someone who married, who was uh, a gay character who we don't really know if he was beat up because he was gay or not. Never really explored. It's kind of hinted at, but we don't really know too much about it. We have that guy. We have a, a young lady who happened to be a part of a white supremacist podcast. And then the next death we get is a, of a character named Diego who has a addiction to pills and is from a troubled home. And then after him, we get Sydney, who herself was assaulted and forcibly given alcohol to the point where she accidentally like knocks one into a fire. So the following two deaths, they just don't line up with what we started with. And I think maybe initially this could have been some kind of moral killer. And then it became like, great, anyone can get it. But because we're leading off with these two extremes, it feels kind of messed up the following two deaths, especially Diego, who more or less is shown as having anxiety, being addicted to fentanyl, coming from a home life where he's in the constant, uh, just like fight or flight mode. So it feels kind of sucky to have his death be the like the next death and to watch him come out of a shell, tell a girl that he likes he, he likes her, it's kind of messed up. And I would more or less enjoy it if the film just said, great, we're just going to kill folks and we're not going to start off with just these two bad people. It would have been great had maybe he just killed the uh, Christian girl and we could have gotten some superfluous backstory about her doing, you know, drugs or whatever. Like we could have like, done something better as opposed to just starting off with great here are bad people that are murdered and our next people are going to be kind of good people it kind of just really made us feel it kind of took you out of like oh that's weird why would you set a pattern and then break it and if you didn't want it to be a pattern you most likely should have written it differently now once we get past that scene uh it really kind of keeps going into this really boring like love story we don't come out of it until maybe the like the end of uh the second top of the third act where of course surprise surprise the creepy loner uh i look like a school shooter and just like one too gets arrested for the murder because he happens to have a taser which was a weapon used in the previous murder uh and of course he goes to find the main girl there's that confusion where he's like trying to chase her down and protect her when she doesn't know it. And then surprise, surprise, the villain is this rich kid who everyone in town hates because his dad is a rich butthead and happens to uh, buy all the town. Uh, and we just don't really care that he's the killer. Like it, we just don't, it doesn't give us that jarring moment that I think the film hopes we got. Uh, we get a killer who is, you know, an emo Steve Rogers with daddy issues. And he just talks about how he hates that people are mean to him because he's rich and how he's ashamed of his privilege. So literally the end of this movie was just like, Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. Wrap it up, wrap it up. It was just not great. The third act was not great. Uh, and I could see what they're trying to go for. They were trying to do a very similar scream slasher type without really doing uh justice to uh the genre like when like when we get to the end of of, of scream and shaggy gives us his uh his, his full monologue about his like love of like horror films and kind of like walks us down that psychotic pathway and then like gets himself stabbed so that he so, so that 
he can be a surviving victim and tell the story like that pulls you in. It is dark. It is creepy. It pulls you in. And instead, we get this scene about uh, I'm privileged and I and I don't want to be ashamed of being privileged. Uh, I want to hurt my dad because my dad is the reason people hate me because I'm privileged. But also I want to accept my privilege. You're all bad people too. Stab, stab, stab. No. We don't we it was really it ended terribly. The first half, not gonna lie, as in the first half. They had us in the first half. Uh this film had so much promise going into it, and it's clearly geared towards a generation that might not be familiar with Scream or Slasher films, and it's very watered down. It's a very watered down slasher film. Uh, and I do not blame the cast. Like these young actors, they follow through on what their characters were meant to do. They follow through on what the characters were written as. This could have been a script issue. It definitely felt like it was wafer thin. Um, for me, it's a four out of 10, honestly. And if you look at other review sites, Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, uh, I'd say folks are of a like mind. I know the audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes is a 19%. So it's not doing all that great online. Uh, so if you are looking for a creepy film that will leave you unnerved, check out Patrick Bryce's other films, Creep and Creep 2. Um, they're much better. Uh, and I really feel like you're going to enjoy them. Uh, it's unfortunate this cast looked like they were going to do some, some really awesome things. I know that Netflix is really pushing, uh, to put out a lot of Halloween content right now. Uh, and I love that, you know, that, you know, this is from the crew who did Stranger Things. So it makes sense that they would bring in a, a that they would bring in this kind of young audience to kind of bring more folks into the fold. But I will say that it, I think it definitely did suffer in the long run. I know that this is also based on a novel. So maybe they didn't want to stray too far from the original source material, but it definitely did not feel, uh, like, all parts of this film connected. I think there definitely was a disconnect at a certain point. So we'll see what happens down the line for Patrick Bryce. I'm hoping for Creep 3 or another Creep Universe world because, y'all, it is a fantastic creepy ride. Uh, I'm just going to let y'all know right now, big fan of Creep. So if you take anything away from today, see Creep. And with that, folks, we are wrapping things up quick. I get you in. I get you out. You can get your food and not have to wait for an hour and 45. I got you. Y'all have an amazing day. If you have any uh, notes or feedback, let me know. We're still starting things off here in the corner. We'd love to hear from you. We'll probably also be reaching out for some like guest moderators for some future content and some future things that we're going to do here on the site. Big shout out to men for the awesome thumbnail art of me as a bobblehead y'all it's a dream come true shout out to eming producing it the best you can with these audio and these visuals appreciate y'all for listening we'll see you next time back in the corner on marlon's corner bye this episode of marlon's corner was produced in richmond california